Robert talked about Vimalananda doing such a thing with people coming on a day-to-day basis and helping cut through these chains or at least provide an environment where that could happen. And we recognize that with Maharaji. So it brought up something else in me uh, uh, that I often talk about that I think is one of the most important uh, themes in these retreats and in our daily lives, in our relationship with our teacher guru, with someone like Maharaji or Vimalananda. This is from the 17th Karmapa, who, if you don't know, he is the reincarnation of his predecessor. He's a young man now. He's maybe 32, 3. I'm not sure if you've seen him. I was fortunate to actually see him in Tibet in 1995 when he was young. Really young. 17th Karmapa, he's talking about. So I was fortunate to have Darshan of 16th Karmapa, who died in 81, 2, something like that, 3. And when I got near having his Darshan, which was a black hat ceremony, and he would put kata scarf on us and so on, when I got near him, I thought, oh my God, Maharaji. I felt that same spacious completely gone beyond whatever, these are words, but whatever I felt, it was directly uh, like a direct ribbon to Maharaji. And we went through the ceremony and so on, and then fast forward to a few years later, and the 17th Karmapa happened to be there with Krishna Das and a couple of other people, Sharon and uh, Sharon Salzberg, and you know, it was just a convivial thing with him, talking about being in America and what was going on in India and so on. And then at the end, he thanked us all and he held my hand. Thank you for coming, put a scarf, you know, kata on and so on. And I realized the moment he touched me, something happened and I realized, oh, Jesus, that's what this whole thing is. I didn't under, I couldn't put thoughts to it, but I had total connectivity with the 16th and the 17th and how that, is such a reality that it's beyond. It was really a tremendous experience. So um, he's quite a wonderful being. This is what he said. The degree to which we are able to offer or surrender our body, speech, and mind to our guru depends on the amount of confidence we have in ourselves and in our teacher. Milarepa, for example, he endured countless difficulties during his discipleship under Marpa. Yet for Milarepa, these experiences were beneficial because he had stable trust in himself and in Marpa. In the end, his trust and confidence became unshakable, and the happiness he achieved due to this trust became unshakable as well. Yet not everyone can emulate Milarepa's confidence and trust if we simply have not yet developed, developed stable trust, there is no sense in forcing ourselves to surrender to our teachers out of a blind sense of duty. In the end, what we are able to accomplish in our relationship with our teacher all leads back to trust. I think that's such a... Uh, Trungpa Rinpoche would, could have said this very same thing. And he talked about the relationship of uh, disciple and and teacher to be one of a, a mutuality. 
And that to me is where this mutuality lies in this trust. Any reflection on that in your experience with Vimalananda? Um, um, actually, before I comment on that, I'm reminded of a, a story of Marpa, in fact. Um, his son died, and that's a big thing. It's nothing worse that can happen to any parent than to have a child die. And um, one of his disciples, who clearly, or at least clearly from my perspective, did not really have that degree of trust that's being described here, uh, thought he was being very clever and said, you know, oh, Guruji, you told us everything is an illusion and now you're reacting to this like a normal human being. And Marpa, who instead of telling the disciple exactly where to get off and in what kind of colorful terms maybe he could get off, said, yes, that is absolutely true. Life is an illusion. This is a maha illusion. This is not an ordinary illusion. And, and I think that, you know, what has always struck me about that story is not that Marpa was feeling this, because, I mean, that is part of what it means to be human. You may not be overwhelmed by it. You may not be rendered uh, unable to function by it, but you're certainly going to feel it. This is, and here is the disciple trying to show off at a moment when instead he could have been just sitting and trying to take on some of that pain and make the situation a little less concentrated for his guru. So um, Vimalananda was very much of the opinion that the most important thing, if you have a physical, I mean, an actual human guru, was to um, have complete confidence in that guru, complete trust in that guru, because without that complete trust, you would not be able to surrender your own personality structure sufficient for a transformation to occur. That doesn't mean your personality structure won't re sprout again. It's certainly going to sprout again, but at the very least, it needs to be eliminated long enough that a new pattern can be created that will, con that will be able, not only a new pattern, but a new momentum will be created that will then be able to, that momentum will move ahead and actually finish the transformation. What does that look like without a guru? Like how this, you know, for, for people who are maybe hearing something like that and they're like, that's how you end up, you know, on a cot with like quaaludes in your stomach wearing Adidas or whatever happened to Heaven's Gate. You know, the trusting of the guru right now is not exactly the most popular thing. And certainly someone saying like, just trust everything, everything, because I'm going to reset your karma. It's like how long before they're like, 
humping your wife or taking your money. This is the way people think of it these days. We're scared of gurus. So is there a way to take that, which I love, the surrender concept. This is the great teaching. You know, and the funny thing in the game between... I got it. I just got to say, yeah. the surrender thing, which it really is something to go astray on. And I go back to the Becoming Nobody movie where Ramdas said when he met Maharaji, it was surrender to nobody. It was no right. surrender without any uh, object. This is what I'm trying to do. Forgive me. I'm just trying to bring it home to people who aren't lucky enough to have run into these famous, incredible gurus. I'm talking about people who are just like hanging out somewhere. They're not going to end up floating around India, probably. They're not going to end up in Varanasi. They're not going to end up in these situations. They're not going to run into maybe this go around. They're not going to run into a guru. What you're talking about is beautiful, particularly the uh, idea of the burning off karma, the Marpa. Yeah, what he had him build this castle or something, tear it down, tear it down. seven times, hold it up, tortures it. him. But this was a sorcerer who used his magic to kill somebody, and he told him, "I had to put you through that to burn the karma off." But is it is it a spiritual bypass or is it just lazy thinking to imagine that each individual's human incarnation? is the equivalent of building those castles. We've, we're just like, we're like Marpa, but with amnesia. We don't even know that we're in the presence of the guru and the, the thing that we, is our project or our life is no different than building those castles. Like we're approaching a timeline where we do get to wake up, where we do get it. But right now we don't have the guru. We've got an iPhone, some pants, a refrigerator doesn't work. I don't know, just basic normal human life. So what? how do we take what you guys are saying and translate that into how we can use it on a day-to-day -day basis? Thank you, one person. Thank you. <laughs> well, one thing Vimal Ananda, well, many things he said, but one thing he said was that when you think of guru, the guru is gunatita, free of all qualities, rupatita, free of all form. So no limitations whatsoever. If you have a human guru, you have to have a subtle awareness, sufficient subtle awareness to know the difference between what is manifesting through that human being and what are the, what may be the occasional fluctuation in that reality that is being manifested by some ancestor or some planet or something that is that may display to you a it's something that is not that is not coming that is not for presenting itself to you as that awareness that has no limitation to it so he told me for example never to accept anything that he said without testing it myself. He said, always test anything I say. If it works for you, do it. If it doesn't work for you, stop doing it. You are free to tell me it doesn't work for you. But the main thing is, find out what is the thing that you can do. So it was useful to me to have him suggest things that I could do. But he is—he always said, if you have no, um, if you have no personal guru, 
There was always Shiva. He is the supreme guru. And by Shiva, he didn't necessarily mean either a phallus stuck into the ground or a fancy-looking guy making, a, you know, a, a dancing on a, a demon. He meant that reality of awareness, consciousness. Consciousness is everywhere. And if you request that consciousness to start to provide you the perspective that you require, then at some point, if you're serious enough and you're paying close enough attention and you're not grabbing hold of things too tenaciously like the idiot disciple and the they got run over by the elephant, then it's very likely since the universe wants you to be a nice mirror for it, for that awareness, that it will assist you to do that. And you have your own experience. Like Maharaji is not in a physical body. Well, he does. I mean, you know, so you interact with that awareness. You want to call oh, it. Oh, no, that. I've had crazy experiences. So, yeah, so these openings happen. And you're able to, as I mean, beautiful thing you said was to reformat these patterns through these experiences, and you are you have an intent, right, to become free of whatever stuff you have. You only have a couple of things, but whatever they are, you actually have, I became free a couple of weeks ago. Too. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, so you get what I'm saying? I do. No, the reason I am asking this question, I, I could go on and on and on about crazy theories about Maharaji and how much I love Maharaji and on and on and on. I think it's off-putting for many people to hear that. And, there, and I know because in the past when I heard that stuff, I was like, okay, have fun. Enjoy being sucked into the dark abyss by some lunatic. Go to Spawn Ranch. What do you live at Spawn Ranch? You're going to go and kill some rich people in Beverly Hills? Is that your... No, this was my, my karma, was to think these things, which is why I always bring this stuff up, because I think of versions of me that hear y'all talking about, well, surrender completely to the guru, purely, 100%. Or as uh, Chogyam Trumpa said, or as I read once, forgive me if I'm misinterpreting it, or he said something like, you have to be like the... Uh, I don't know what the name for it is, the apprentice of a samurai going into battle. You trust the samurai. You're going into battle. You're not like telling him what to do or asking, is this normal? This is someone who's going to keep you alive. It's that level of trust. Many people, when they hear that, they are the force fields go up. They're like, no way. That's just a dude. That's a guy who reads the paper, who drinks too much coffee, maybe, wants some money, probably needs to survive in the world. I'm not going to do what, what he wants. This is what most people, I think. So I ask you these questions because it would be nice to discover a way for people to achieve the experience that we have had that is decentralized, that isn't wrapped up in some cog in the wheel, you know, or some tent post where the tent post goes away and the whole tent collapses. This is not a sound structure. I just think we're entering into the age of decentralized gurus, gurus that are the sum total of all of us. I mean, in my fantasies, when I hang out with all of you, I think, oh, this is Maharaji's blanket. We're in it. We're in it right now, completely connected. This must be it. But thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. The, but to, but to, to finish, the, the reason I said is only because I, how tragic is it every time we see, you know, these various institutions collapse 
because they've leaned on the central charismatic temple. You know, they, they leaned in and then that thing, the planets aligned wrong. Somebody was in the bathroom at a party and grabbed someone's ass or tried to kiss him because Jupiter was too close to the sun or whatever. And so now we've got a whole structure that collapses and all the teachings get smeared. All the wonderful data now has this taint in it, you know, of this person. So I ask you this because I think it would be nice to come up with a real concise real pragmatic way for people to find these gurus that you guys are talking about without having to necessarily succumb to potential um, uh, fraud or whatever. And I know Ramdas says it's a self-destructing trap. If you get pulled in by a, you know, charlatan, well, that's part of the teaching too. But, you know, help us save some time. Help us. <laughs> you know. You're here. Took a few years. Look at you. What do you mean? You came here. Oh, it worked. It worked, yeah. It, wor it, it worked. worked, and I tested. It took a lot of, of, you know, having you ingest a lot of psychedelics. and. Yeah. Uh, and you put me in that steel cage the, behind yes. your house for three yeah. months. It did, but it, it worked. worked. No, it worked. I know it did work. It really did. I just, and I love hearing about gurus. Again, I'm, I'm sorry if I come off as crass or disrespectful. I don't mean to. I'm just wanting, I want people to be able to, plug into the energy source that both of you have been fortunate enough to have met in person without having to get on a plane and travel. Because I think that's the world that we're in right now, is a world where it would be really nice if instead of doing spiritual tourism or trying to find the cave or the thing, people were taught or invited into some sense that this is the cave, this is the forest, and everything's the guru, but is that just me not wanting to buy a plane ticket and go somewhere? Well, there's no doubt that some of the most dramatic drama that happens nowadays is the guru drama. I mean, every few years there's some uh, unbelievable thing that, ha you know, some in some cult, and it happened just recently. I can't remember the details. I'm blocking them out. But it's usually the sort of thing where the guru dies, and he promised he would come back to life. And the, the, the disciples are guarding the body, and the body is on a piece of ice, and it's deteriorating. But they won't let the body go, and the body is deteriorating some more. And after, you know, three weeks, the police have to come in, and there's a big tamasha, and everything is... And... And that makes people feel even more, just like you're describing, that the guru, you know, this whole guru bullshit is, is uh, a, a, a gigantoid con that is involving everybody. On the other hand, I noticed you were wearing a cap, and on your the bill of your cap, it says, I love Jesus. I'm assuming you're not meaning Jesus Alou, for example. <laughs> a baseball player from my... That's what it is. We used to make a joke, you know, it's like Jesus would come up to the plate and after the third strike, it would be, Jesus struck out. <laughs> but, I mean, unless you're wearing that cap in some sardonic sense, I mean, do you, would you say you actually... I love Jesus. Uh-huh. And I do love Jesus sardonically. And I love Jesus cynically. I love Jesus non-sardonically, non-cynically. I all levels. Sometimes I'm like, this is ridiculous. 
this is, you know, but then of course that's usually the literal interpretation. P.S. There's a new virtual reality game coming out called the Jesus Experience. Check it out. You can actually be Jesus being crucified. Do like make, why is that bad? I think that's like the height of like, I don't mean, I don't, that doesn't offend me at all. I think that like we look connect to the story of Christ because we, we all feel the suffering of, uh, we feel that it's like not, it's happening right now, but that's a different podcast altogether. Does that mean you're inserting electrodes and then the machine is ratcheting up the pain level? No, but I would buy that if it was there. It's, it's just a VR thing. I'm sorry. I got, yes, I wear the hat ironically, non-ironically. And, and I, 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 but I, I, I have, I love Jesus. And, and I'm thinking of this in particular because today is Sunday and because I was just watching my sister's choir program in Houston. Uh-huh. She was kind enough to allow me to come here instead of going to the choir program, which I usually do every year. Um, and it is undoubted. I mean, the litany of, for example, what the Catholic Church has done in the name of Jesus of Nazareth is the castrati and the the crusades and the inquisition and et cetera, et cetera. And um, of course, the Protestants have not been maybe not as well organized for creating mayhem, but they've done plenty also, including in the state. But does that negate the either the reality or the potential positive effect of Jesus himself? Well, no, of course not. But I do think it, you know, one of the things I've heard is like, if you're going to you know, teach Dharma or something like that, just understand that if you turn out to be a pig, then really all you do is make it so many people associate you with something that you really had nothing to do with. You know what I mean? So no, does it like cut a person's ability in any given moment to connect with love and fully feel that sense of completely ununderstandable compassion? Absolutely not. But I've got a lot of fundamentalist Christians or friends who are raised fundamentalists and you mentioned the Bible and it's like when you have, you've, you know, like when you've been drinking tequila all night and you smell tequila, you mention it to someone who was raised by these fundamentalists. They don't want to hear about it. They're disconnected from the story of Christ. They think it's a literal thing. They hate it. And so, yeah, does it cut some? No. On one level, no. But on another level, boy, what a rotten thing to do to people is to pair your autocratic fascist approach towards love with, tr- with love. It's a kid. It's a it's, rotten thing. To it's a do. rotten thing. Really rotten thing to do. But it's just part of our reality. And Ramdas is right. If you walk into something like that, that's very, in the end, negative, and you need it to have that stuff knocked out of you, then that's going to happen. Mm. So it's just the beauty of us being here with this particular being is certainly good karmas. Yes. Right? And, and we, can, we can certainly argue that if you... The cult is over here. You're over here. There might be no reason for you to ever have any interaction with the cult. It's a big world out there. Most, The vast majority of people you will never even pass on the street, much less interact with. But it 
may be that your karmas connect you to someone that because of whatever that karmic uh, uh, runa, that uh, connection is, that will cause you to, and it may happen that at some point when you're open to that, there might be some ability for that influence to affect you. And that happened then. And yes, it would be very unfortunate if that was the case. But as as soon as you are able to determine that that is not the direction you should be going in, then it is much better to stop going mm. in that direction and, and creating that those karmas. You understand them, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have much time left. But I'm just wondering if uh, if anybody wants to uh, ask a question. Jonathan is over there, and he's coming. And we can take a few questions before we close. Well, you be. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thank you so much for sharing uh, so much about the law of karma, which is so complicated and complex. Um, I have a very I don't know how to phrase this question, and I'll try. But basically, like um, with when we go about karma on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's so complex because like Dr. Swaboda explained, it's coming from a past life, it's coming from some planet influence, it's happening over here. There's so many aspects affecting where you are. So, you know, there is no right and wrong uh, sort of way to go about it. Other than, of course, not to do the really bad things, like the really evil things. But on a day-to-day -day basis, what did your guru um, have to say about going about it? you know, about uh, doing your daily activities or interacting with actions with respect to karma? Um, well, n the number one thing he said was, of course, always try to act in the most um, effective and adept way possible and be sure that you will make mistakes. What he did was say, what he emphasized again and again was, make it a point always met to make different mistakes. Because making one mistake, if you then learn from it, even if you can make a slightly different mistake, you're not, you're, you're, for one, you're, you're not, reinforcing that neurological pathway. You're not reinforcing that pranic pathway. You're not reinforcing that karmic pathway. The more you reinforce it, the more likely it becomes a samskara and then becomes a vasana and then it's dragging you along instead of you being able to act. Um, so Always try to make different mistakes and try to understand what your personal dharma is. What are you supposed to be doing in life? What is the thing that the prana itself is trying to, incur trying to inform you that you should be doing in life? And try to do that. Lord Krishna says in the Gita, karmanye vadikaraste ma paleshu kadachana. Um, do whatever actions, whatever karmas, uh, are you that you are adhikara for, 
adhikara means fit, um, whatever you are fit to do, whatever the things that you are uh, empowered to do by your situation in life. If you're adhikara, for example, if you're a doctor, that means you're adhikara to actually go, if you're a surgeon, let's say, you're adhikara to actually go in and make, and to cut into human bodies. If you cut into human bodies without having that knowledge and having that, that the, the, the ability to know when to do it and under what conditions and how to minimize the bad effect, then you're creating a really unfortunate karma. So do the karmas that you know you are a dikara for and that you know are, you are appropriate to, to, that are appropriate for you and that you're being called to do ma paleshu kadachana. Kadachana means at any time and ma paleshu means never, never either expect, look forward to, demand, or even desire the fruit of your karma. You do the karma because you know this is something that needs to be done and it certainly looks like I need to do it. So I'm, based on my best understanding at this moment, this is what I'm going to do. And then Krishna said, after that, have faith in me and things will move forward. There is a, if I might, offer a story at the moment because um, stories are, life is all about narrative. Everyone has their narrative and there are narratives that are facilitating all these narratives. And Krishna, of course, had a number of disciples and um, Arjuna was a very close friend, also a disciple, and Arjuna started to think of himself as being something special. And Krishna thought, I think this isn't a good teaching moment. So he caused the thought to arise in Arjuna's mind to ask Krishna, Oh Krishna, who is your greatest devotee? Naturally expecting that Krishna would say, Why, you are, dear Arjuna. You are my greatest devotee. Of course, Krishna did not say that. What he said was, that man who sells oil a few houses away. Suddenly, Arjuna was wounded in the self-opinion, which is located in here often. And Krishna noticed this and said, come with me and I will show you. And they walked over to the man's house and the man saw him and fell down at the feet of Krishna and said, I've been worshiping you all this time and you have actually come to my house. This is the, I, I, it's astounding. Finally, my good karmas have kicked in. God is great. And he invited them in. He offered them whatever he could. And to make a, his point, Krishna said, you know, Arjuna was asking, who is my greatest devotee? I said, it was you. And please tell my friend Arjuna how often you remember me. So now Arjuna was thinking, well, he must be remembering him 24 and a half hours of the day. Otherwise, how could he be the greatest devotee? 
And the man said, without fail, I remember you twice a day, just before I begin my work and just after I finish it. Now Arjuna was majorly pissed off because how could this be? Arjuna was with Krishna 24 hours a day. He was, you know, serving him, massaging him, drying his hair when it was wet. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And Krishna, of course, was enjoying Arjuna being all pissy. And so Krishna then said to Arjuna, Arjuna, if you don't mind, here's a giant vessel of oil. Kindly move it from here over to there so it will not be in the way. So Arjuna did that. He moved it over there. It was very heavy. He had to pay attention to it. He sat down again, and Krishna said, by the way, how often did you remember me while you were moving this heavy vessel of oil from point A to point B? And Arjuna said, well, frankly, not at all, because I was making sure that I didn't spill any of the oil. So Krishna said, I hope you understand my point now. Here is someone who is busy doing the things that are his responsibilities in the world. He has a family. He has a job. He is doing all of these things. And despite that, he makes it a point. He has a niyama. He has a regular practice to remember me once a day before he starts his day and once a day at the end of the day. Can you honestly say that anyone could be a better devotee than that? And, of course, the first thing that Arjuna thought was, well, yes, I can. And then, of course, reality kicked in and he had to say, no, you're right. So the point is very much that if you were seriously looking to try to understand what is the right thing for you to do, and you do that right thing, and you rely on your environment to respond to you and communicate to you whether you're doing the right thing. And if you try to remain as open as possible to try to, and it's all not, it's frequently not easy to understand, but if you continue to be open to, and Vimalananda always used to say, please remember if your guru or if nature herself wants to communicate to you, she can do that through anything. She can do that through the mouth of your worst enemy. She can do that through a newspaper headline. Anything can come to you and deliver to you the right message for you at that moment. And if you're waiting for the message to come some other way, then um, you're going to miss it. Don't insist that the message has to come in a particular way. Be open to being guided and if you were open and humble and you were seriously serious about the situation, guidance will come your way. We, uh, right over here, there's a question and probably last question, unfortunately. Here, here I am. This is for you, Robert. If you could address the question about our DNA, if it changes with every incarnation or we carry ancestral DNA point to point to point, or is every incarnation completely different? Well, 
it is true that just from the mechanical approach of actual physical reality of of a protoplasmic organism uh, DNA has evolved as the method by which that happens. Of course, as people have been finding out recently, it is in many ways less important what genes you have and in other ways more important which ones of them are turned on and turned off. So the epigenetics of your genome, your personal genome. Um, but that's only one aspect of it, because that is the most physiological aspect of it. You're also being influenced by your various ancestors, and they are the reason why they're able to influence you so strongly is not necessarily that they still are holding on to that DNA, but because they were because they were bound down to that DNA for so long, they still have an affinity with it. They still have an ability to 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 identify with it not perfectly thank goodness otherwise we'd be uh, uh incarnating our ancestors all the time which happens occasionally like in you know ports parts of new guinea where the expectation is that your grandchild is actually going to be or your child is going to be your father is sort of like a grandfather, grandchild, grandmother, granddaughter kind of thing. So they ex that's what they are they are trying for. That's what they expect. That makes it a much more difficult, or at least I think it makes it a more difficult situation for evolution to occur because instead of having actual ancestors, I mean actual uh, transcended deities as the direction in which you're moving, you're just sort of moving in the direction of continuing to reinforce a an ancestral thing that may not be going anywhere. Um, but so it's the, it's not that the ancestors are still necessarily um, connected to the DNA, but they have an ability to still align with it. They have an ability to still influence you through it. And they want to influence you because they would like many of them, not all of them, some of them may be already off doing, evolving and doing what they should, but some of them are very much still desirous of reconnecting to the world and and working something out that they haven't finished working out. And they will try to project themselves through you. So it's in that sense that the ancestors can strongly can can actually possess you or they can possess you enough that they can move you in a certain direction. But of course it's not just the ancestors that you're not only inheriting ancestral influences. You're also inheriting the influences of all your previous incarnations. So there is a pattern in those incarnations and that pattern is also influencing how your DNA is going to manifest itself in this world. In addition to which, the third major thing, the third major stream of inheritance is the culture that you're born into. And not just the culture as if it was something separate from the rest of reality, but the, the land, the food, the water, and the culture. The 
the language that you speak has a tremendous effect on that because of the play, the place in the head where the different phonemes are spo- are spoken. Uh, every vo- language has a central vowel, and that causes people to hold their mouths in a particular way. And holding your mouth in a particular way is going to is going to set the way that the 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 darshana, the way that the the perspective you have on the world. So all of these things are trying very much to they all have their own agendas and they're all their agendas are always trying to keep you repeating whatever pattern has already been generated and these are all if you had no dna you wouldn't be anywhere and if you had no previous incarnations um you would not have accumulated the various experiences and uh, hopefully, knowledge that you've accumulated, and if you had no culture, if you had no language, it would be very difficult to interact with people and transact whatever karmas have to be transacted. So these are all tools you have to use, but they're all things that have the potential to either be useful to you and not only not limit you, but assist you to develop further, or they have the potential to cause you to become even more constricted and even more stuck and even more bigoted and even more limited. How's that? Jesus. It's scary, too, on other levels. Wow. There's Could I just so much. say two more things? Yeah. Oh, good. You're killing us. Go. Number one is, as Vimalananda always used to say, you can pay a lot of attention to all these deities and all these practices and learn how to manipulate all the elements and you can you know get all of your ancestors to transform themselves and move to some heaven over there and you can you can you can exert tremendous amount of energy and um and do all these things or you can take the advice of the tripura Rahasriya, which is a very famous and excellent uh, text, and you can stop wasting your time and bow down right now at the feet of Shiva and allow him or her or it or however you look at that reality to organize your life in the best way possible and move forward from there. Which to me is why we're here and we're connecting with that thing that we can't name through this particular being, because that's our experience. It's what Ramdas's experience is. So I think you summed that up. Right? And I think it's I think it's definitely necessary to know what's going on in the world because that's that it it's part of, it's it's how things are being manifest but and and how the uh, the zeit, what's going on with the zeitgeist. But the most important thing is not to get tied, caught up in that, but to know what's going on and then remember what your own personal path is and move forward. So just to end this with something I'm remembering, Krishnas and I talking about um, Maharaji did say to us, I will never let go of your hand. And we always talk about that blanket. Bow down to Shiva. You just bow down. To, I mean, for me, it's that blanket because I remember when I 
touch his feet, the blanket was all over the place, and it was like part of me. I, I can still feel it. It's that connection is for me the bowing down to to Lord Shiva, Lord Buddha. It's all as Maharaji said, subek. So, yeah, that's a good way to close this. Yeah, bow down, bow down. Thank you, Duncan. Thank really, you. thanks for having me, Raghu, and Robert. Thank you. Svoboda.